Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 15. We're going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John. We're looking at Jesus' last conversation with his disciples before he's arrested, betrayed, before he goes to the cross. Uh, before we get started, I, I want to do something. We've done this from time to time, and I just think it's an important thing to do, um, and we'll just take some time praying. If at your seat, you can pray out loud. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing when voices rise up to the Lord and in prayer, and we don't have to pray as a group necessarily. I'll close this out, but you know, there's people meeting all over, you know, all over geographically, all over our city, all over our county, all over our state. You know, make the circles go out farther and farther. And so I want to lift up and call out by name in prayer uh, churches and pastors, believers that you know, that you know are meeting. And let's just, let's pray for pastors that are bringing the word, you know, that um, God's doing awesome things across the earth. You know, we don't think that we're uh, special, we're the only place, that we're the only, we have a corner on the market of truth or what the Holy Spirit's doing. So we want to see God, we want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we take some time where you're at and just Pray that uh, blessings on, on churches, on meetings, on pastors, on Christians that are gathering. If you know believers in certain places around the world, just, just take a moment and pray and lift them up. All right, let's do that before we begin. Lord, we just ask that you would be lifted up in the, the places that we're thinking of, the buildings, the pe through the people that we're, we're naming, God. I just lift up uh, Tony to you, God. I ask you to speak through Tony and to minister through him, to give him your comfort, to give him your spirit. Let him speak your truth and lift you up, Jesus. Let him uh, experience your presence and your power as he's bringing the word, God, uh, for Matt and everybody named Matt that's preaching today, the Matts that I know, for the Williams, God, for for the people that are bringing your word, um, wherever they may be, the churches that are gathering, the people that are gathering in your name, let them encounter you, let them experience your presence, let them feel your pleasure, let them uh, proclaim your truth, God. Let them be visited by your spirit, Lord, your helper that leads into all truth. We ask you to bless them, just to give them uh, special times of refreshing that are coming from your throne, God, as they meet and they gather, God. Let them be encouraged, let them be strengthened, let them be convicted. Uh, all the things that you would do if you were in their presence, when you're in your presence, God, let them receive it and obey and, and move in it, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in John 15. I think, uh, I guess before we really get started, we have a couple birthdays, I think, right? Did Adeline have a birthday? How old's Adeline? Sweet 16, that's a significant birthday. Uh, if you know Adeline, you know she's a sweetheart and she's a blessing and, and she's also bold uh, for the Lord. I just, 
I've gotten to see that side of her uh, recently, you know, just seeing her take action, and, and so blessings on you. Um, my wife had a birthday, and my in-laws were born in February. There's a lot of February birthdays. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, you know anybody that's got a birthday sometime around now? Uh, is today your birthday? Today is Stuart's birthday. Whose birthday? Is it Jack's birthday? It's your birthday? Huh? A lot of special people. Today is your birthday? Or this week, like recently? Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot of special people here. Anybody else? I don't want to. Lourdes, his birthday's in February. A lot of awesome people are born in February. Yeah. <laughs> Abigail. Abigail had a birthday in February. Yeah. Two days ago. That's awesome. Uh, so I just appreciate all these people. These are special people in our lives and uh, if you get a chance, speak a blessing over them or, you know, give them some money or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> give them a word of blessing and financial blessing. Huh? Oh, especially, yeah, Brandy, yeah. Yeah, you can give that to me if you want. I'll make sure. I'll make sure it, it trickles down, you know. There's trickle-down economics in our household. All right, so we're in John chapter 15, and we're at the last conversation I said of Jesus. He's moments away from being betrayed and arrested, uh, being put on trial, and sent to the cross. And I was thinking about it, you know, these final messages have significance, obviously. He's going to address, he's going to give priority to the things that are the most important to him, that are weightiest to him. And I think about this, uh, I was thinking about his message, and a lot of times, you know, I'm not, when I'm leaving my kids, even if I'm leaving, you know, for a day of work, and they're going to be home, or if I'm leaving for a trip to the grocery store, I feel like I need to give them uh, messages and emphasize uh, things that I want them to know and to remember and to obey. And um, I don't know what their, what, you know, my success as a communicator is in those moments. I was also thinking about something, a a humorous conversation I'd heard or story, um, and this might be something that you guys might not understand because some of the details, it's a soccer-related story. But there's a, a manager that is popular in Europe, or infamous, I should say. He might be popular some. He's uh, popular as like an antagonist to others. Is a, a Portuguese guy named Jose Mourinho. And uh, you can look up this story. He's telling a story about a player named Mario Balotelli, an Italian guy. And so these are people that you don't know. But he was in this important game. He was playing in Europe, and uh, they were, and it was an away game, and they had to travel far to this game, and they only had one striker, which is a key position. It's the guy you usually count on to give you goals because of injuries and other things. And it was this guy, Mario Balotelli, and he's also an infamous figure. And uh, three minutes before halftime, he got a yellow card in his game. And so if you get two yellow cards, you get a red card, which means you're kicked out of the game and your team has to play a player down. So it's kind of a big deal. And Mourinho tells a story. He says he had 15 minutes at halftime. For 14 minutes, he said he was talking to this one player, Mario, don't get a yellow card. You're the only striker we have. We need you. We can't do without you. If you get a bad call, it doesn't affect you. If somebody tries to provocate, he says provocate, he has this Portuguese accent, so it's a funny story the way he tells it. Somebody tries to provoke you, no reaction. Things don't go your way, no reaction. Your player, your teammates don't pass you the ball, no reaction. Somebody fouls you, no reaction. 
14 minutes of 15 minutes of halftime, he spent on this message telling him, do not get a red card. And he said, the 46 minutes, so one minute into halftime, or into the second half, he got a red card. <laughs> and so he tells his story uh, comically. You know, he's, he's emphasizing this message. He's, he's uh, giving weight to the importance. And a lot of times I think, uh, I hope that we as a church are not like that, where we miss the things that Jesus emphasizes. The important messages that he gives us, um, we got to be careful that they don't go in one ear and out the other. And we have to be careful that we don't do the opposite of the message that he's giving us. So Jesus is relaying this message. And if you will allow me to summarize it, he starts with the Last Supper. He gives them beautiful images, beautiful pictures of how he wants them to behave. He washes the disciples' feet. And that's a loaded image. It's a loaded action that Jesus takes, full of significance, full of meaning, that he, the very Son of God, would stoop to the lowest position, take the worst job, and to execute it with love and with joy and with sincerity, he's giving, them, he's giving us an example to follow. He's giving in a, a message, he's giving them an image of how to obey it. And so we don't want to miss that image. He said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He gives us a picture of servant leadership. The first will be last, the last shall be first. We're to lower ourselves to love, to display our love in tangible, actionable ways to serve other people. I've been studying in the book of Philippians. You know, some of you guys know that, and I quote Philippians 2 often. Uh, there's a poem in there that talks about Jesus, that we're to have that same mindset, who being, uh, you know, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of the servant. And I was doing some studying, and it was comparing Jesus to Adam. The sin, the, the temptation in the garden was that you will be like God. Adam's sinned when he put himself on that pedestal, and he uh, took action to make himself like God. And Jesus is glorified because he doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he makes himself a servant. And we're not to put ourselves. Or Sean talked about self-centeredness as the root of sin. We're not to put ourselves on the pedestal, but we're to elevate Jesus and to humble ourselves and serve other people. He gives the picture, he gives the message. Um, he goes on and he predicts his betrayal. He predicts Peter's denial. He declares that his time has come to be glorified, and he gives a new command to love one another as he has loved us. Is the core message. He gives that command, and he repeats it. Love one another as I have loved you. He goes on in, in John 13, 14, 15. He's telling him that he's going to leave and prepare a place for them. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He's going to return for them. He tells them about the coming helper, the Holy Spirit, that when he goes away, the Father will send the, the helper, the advocate, the Spirit, which will lead them into truth, bring things to their memory, and will testify about Jesus. He gives them the image of the vine and the branches. He says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And, and really, this whole discourse centers around that image of the vine and the branches. It's, it's the, the core image 
that we are to remain connected, to stay connected to Jesus and let his life flow through us and bear much fruit. So he's taking pains. He wants to prepare them to continue in the work of the kingdom. He's leaving. The work of the kingdom will continue. It's not over. It's not done. He's preparing them to continue in community with one another, loving one another as he loved us. He's preparing them to be ready for the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them to continue that even though he's leaving, they will continue in relationship with him. You know, as I was thinking about the vine and the branches, I was thinking as the the disciples walked the earth with Jesus, uh, they could often literally cling to him. They were abiding with him. They could grab hold of him. They could remain connected. You know, you think of the, the woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment. That image of he's the true vine. We can, they were near to him. His life was flowing into them. They could uh, hear the vibrations that his voice caused. They could literally hear his voice. But he's giving them the image of the vine and branches to say that that relationship continues in a new way, but it does not end. Because he knew they'd be tempted when they saw him on the cross, even though he predicted it, to think it was all over. It was finished. He prepared them to continue in relationship with him. And here in verse 18, where we're going to begin, he's preparing them for persecution. He's preparing them for persecution. He starts in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He's preparing them to be persecuted. I'm going to read this passage. I'm just going to read it all and then jump back into it. So uh, follow along with me here to the end of the chapter. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. I'm going to continue here for a few verses. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. When whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you, re- you may remember that I told them to you. And I think verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, uh, sums up Jesus' intention here. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. You know, I like... Uh, I, I like insights like that. We see Jesus' concern. He's aware that things are going to happen in the world that will cause Christians, true believers, 
to be tempted to fall away. You know, when, uh, when he uh, told the parable of the persistent widow, the parable of the unrighteous judge, he's, it says that he's telling these things uh, that they would not lose heart and remember to always pray. I like when we understand why Jesus told things. There are things that are going to come to the world that will cause us to lose heart. There are things that will come uh, that we will experience in this life that will cause us to be tempted to fall away. There's things that will happen in this world that will, be, that will cause us to be tempted to, to give up, to fall back, to turn away, to lose heart, to not pray, to not want to follow Jesus. And he's aware of it, and he's trying to prepare his disciples, and he's trying to prepare us to be ready for those things. So he's warning them about a coming persecution. Now I want to say... Um, when I was reading this, I read through this, you know, 13 through 16. I've read through this multiple times this week, really trying to just take it all in and then dive in and break it down and then zoom back out for the big picture. And when I, when I read this, I see the, uh, I wrote down the, the energy and the emphasis of this message, this whole, uh, di- or, you know, this whole uh, conversation of Jesus, this whole message, the energy and the emphasis is on abiding, and it's on loving others. Loving God and loving others. The simplicity of, of the, the summary of the law. The emphasis and the energy is to be expended in maintaining our relationship with Jesus so that his life flows through us, that we are able to serve and love other people. Starting with uh, the brothers and sisters, the household of God, and extending to the world. But he wants us to be aware of persecution. I think sometimes all of our energy and our emphasis and our care and our concern is on the opinion that other people have of us. I think too often, too much of our uh, emotional energy, our concern, our thought, our worry is how other people perceive us. You know, this was a, a regular criticism that Jesus had of the Pharisees. You know, he said, woe to you Pharisees. You know, you love the seats of honor in the synagogues. And you love to be greeted respectfully in the marketplace. He was, they, they were concerned with the opinion of other people. In John chapter 12, in verse 43, there's this summary of, uh, it talks about that many of the leaders believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it, so they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. And there was a summary of them, it said, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, we have to be cautious that we're not consumed with the fear of man. Proverbs tells us the fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We need to be concerned with our relationship with God and God's opinion of us because Jesus said the world hates you. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It hated Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. 
yet the world was offended at him. The world hated him. The world persecuted him. And so I want you to know that you can behave perfectly. This is a hypothetical situation, okay? Even if you did behave and carry yourself perfectly in the world, not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to love you. Not everyone is going to just throw themselves to hear what you have to say and to take your opinion or your message. Um, People will hate you without cause. That will happen. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to you. We can't fear man. We can't be consumed with how people perceive us. And this, this hits me. This is, this, is, uh, you know, this is challenging me because I like, I like people and I like people to like me. You know, and I kind of consider myself someone who's skillful at entering into diverse situations with diverse groups of people and finding common ground and trying to win them over. I want to be uh, I want to be influential for Christ, uh, but I have to be sure that I don't want just people to like me and to speak well of me. That was the, the trap of the Pharisees. It was it was like a, it was mingled in there and it was cloaked. In, uh, it was cloaked in righteousness, it was cloaked in good intentions, it was cloaked in service of God, but really they wanted people to like them. We have to be aware of that. We cannot be afraid of the bad opinions, bad opinions from other people. We can't be controlled by it, we cannot be consumed by it, we cannot be bothered by it, we can't be worried by it, we can't be... Uh, held back or cowed by it. That's a word we don't use very much, right? So we can't be sent into, into whatever. We can't be like uh, the opposite of courage, courageous. We can't be bothered by the opinions of other people. We just have to have an awareness. Persecution will come. You know, persecution is really the norm, I would say. I would, I would put out there, Persecution is the norm for the church, for Christians in human history. Now, there are periods of peace. There are places of peace. But persecution and hostility is the norm. I was looking up statistics. You can see persecution appears to be on the rise around the world. You know, we may live in a little bubble here. Um, where we're really not really persecuted. But uh, by some statistics, 320 million Christians today live in very high or extreme hostility, facing persecution. There's countries all over the world where Christians are killed, where they're thrown in prison, their properties are seized. They're severely persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. I'm not saying that we face that. We, we in our lives generally don't face that today. But throughout church history, there have been persecutions. This was... Jesus' predictions or his, his uh, assessment was immediately true and has continued to be true. If you think about Jesus' disciples, if you follow uh, church history, pretty much all of them were martyred. They faced heavy persecution. Uh, John maybe was the only one perhaps that 
wasn't martyred, but it wasn't because they didn't attempt to martyr him. He might have been boiled in oil and uh, exiled to the island of Patmos. But throughout early church history, for the, especially the first 300 years, there was extreme persecution. It happened. And I would say that by and large, it was based on lies and hatred of the message. Confusion and animosity and uh, evil intentions, not because of how they behaved. Now, I do want to say, uh, just because we're warned that we'll be persecuted, we do have to be aware and conscious that negative results that we see from the world, this isn't something I knew that I've said, that we have to be uh, vigilant and watchful that we're not just being distasteful, that we're not being uh, unlikable, that we're not being... Um, uh, you know, easy to not like. We're not to look for persecution and hope to amplify it. You know, I've, I was listening to a message and, and I've heard this sentiment that um, we don't have enough persecution in the church today because we're not, you know, we're not preaching the message enough. That if we were really being faithful to Jesus, that there would be more persecution. And that may or may not be true. But what I've seen, I've seen people run with that and be as abrasive as they can be so that they think, well, the, the Scripture tells us that the gospel is going to be foolishness to people, that they will reject it, that there will be hostilities towards it. So they generate hostility to verify their personal stance, their, their little uh, narrow interpretation of Christianity, and it becomes a repeating, self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and so they, they give the world a bad taste of followers of Jesus. You will never win everyone over. You will never, Christianity will never not be distasteful. It will never, uh, in this season of history that we're in, it will never not be persecuted. But we want to be aware that it's not just our preferences or our personality or our methods that are distasteful to people. We have to walk in humility. We have to walk, as Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we have to examine our lives. Not that we can just win more people to, to liking us, but that we're not dissuading people from loving Jesus by our methods and our actions, by our opinions and personalities, by our politics. I'm cautious. Uh, I have opinions about things, you know. I have opinions about the world. I have opinions about politics. I have opinions about economics. I have opinions about world leaders. I have opinions about movements. And maybe I'm not as cautious as I should be. But I'm cautious that I just preach Jesus. I just want to proclaim Jesus. And if something's in the Scripture, I don't want something that God calls good to be called bad. And I'll stand up. In that regard, I don't want to elevate a political party. I don't want to elevate a political leader. I don't want to elevate uh, a cultural movement. I don't want to elevate necessarily an economic system. I want to lift up God's word and I want to lift up Jesus. I don't want people to be confused and turned away because of my opinions. Does that make sense? 
You know, Paul, Paul wasn't a, Jesus sometimes said harsh words to people. Scripture tells us he was full of grace and truth. He was the most loving man that ever lived. And yet he would speak truth that offended people. He wasn't afraid to be offensive. But he had a bedrock of love and integrity that gave him, he had the platform to speak harsh truths. You know, Paul was an offensive person, but he said, uh, he said he tries to become all things to all people that he might win them to Christ. He was aware of the situations he entered. He wasn't duplicitous. He wasn't two-faced. He wasn't, uh, you know, just trying to trick people or lie or be sneaky. But he was trying to be strategic as he entered a situation that he could have an avenue for sharing Jesus. He told us to pray for our leaders. That we would experience peace. Scripture tells us to pray for leaders. We're not to seek persecution. We're not to seek hostility. We're not to try to amplify uh, problems or inflame them. We're to seek peace. It tells us in Romans to live at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. You know, First Peter, about every chapter, First Peter addresses this. He wants Christians to behave in a way. He says, you're going to be persecuted. Make sure you're not the cause of the persecution. Make sure it's because of Christ. He told him in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live such good lives among the pagans, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll be ashamed. It's going to happen. It happened in the early church. They were accused of all kinds of crazy things. They were uh, misinterpreted. They called each other brother and sister. And the Roman world uh, accused them of incest. They refused to worship the Roman gods to give honor to them, uh, to elevate them. They refused to proclaim Caesar as Lord. And they were called atheists and haters of God. They were called haters of humanity because of the way that they loved one another. And because they refused to participate in debauchery, they refused to participate in the, the drunkenness and the orgies and the, the, the ritual worship that was profane. They were called haters of humanity. And ironically, they were also recognized as people who loved not only their own poor, but also the poor of the pagans. In the same breath, they were lied about. They were gossiped about. They were accused, but it didn't have a basis or a foundation. Uh, going on in 1 Peter, in 3, 13, he said, Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. All right? The same thing happened to Jesus. 
Make sure that you're not being persecuted for your own sins. Be gentle, be respectful, be humble as you interact with the world. First Peter 4, he, get, he just goes at it in every single chapter pretty well. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's an interesting uh, group of people there. Murderers, thieves, evildoers, meddlers. I looked up the meaning of that word. It just means, um, it means uh, being involved in, one definition said, getting involved in things outside your calling. You're called to serve Christ. You're called to preach Christ. Don't get involved. Don't be a meddler. Don't get involved in things that are outside your purview, outside your calling as a Christian. If you're suffering, that's, you can go through that list. Am I suffering because I'm getting involved in things I don't really belong in? I don't need to be involved in? Am I concerning myself with things that aren't really my area of concern? Am I uh, facing trials? Am I, am I suffering because I'm evil doing? Am I suffering because of I'm a thief because I'm taking things that aren't rightfully mine to take. We can examine ourselves. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. I want you to hear that. If you interact with the world, especially the wider world, if you're on certain uh, you know, platforms on social media, or you can get in comment threads on YouTube or whatever, uh, you, know, you can see Christian issues. There are people... Uh, who are ready to make accusations and to attack and to accuse and to uh, belittle and to mock. Do not be ashamed of suffering as a Christian. Don't be silenced by intimidation from the opinions of other people, but examine your lives to make sure that your problems, that your persecution isn't reaping what you sow, isn't a result of your own sin, your own meddling, your own foolishness. You know, uh, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. We will face trials. We will face hardships. James tells us to count it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. Pure joy. We are, when we encounter problems... And persecutions, we're not to be ashamed. We're to call it, consider it pure joy. Because uh, problems develop our endurance, right? Our endurance, our perseverance is worth more than gold. Our maturity, it leads us to maturity. We are to be pleased because we have an opportunity to mature. But we have to examine ourselves. Are my problems, am I reaping what I'm sowing? You know, I think... You know, most of my problems in my life, I'm still working out character issues. Most of my problems, my wife will testify to this, are uh, from my own poor time management and procrastination, my lack of attention to detail. Those are mostly, most of the problems in my life are still reaping what I'm sowing. 
I don't call it persecution, you know. I don't call it oppression necessarily. There are times where I face problems and I think this is not, this is something different. This is a spiritual attack. But I'm slow, I'm slow to attribute, uh, to, to get, I'm slow to accuse or make that, make that pronouncement. Most of my problems are still because I need to listen to the book of Proverbs better, you know? And so some of you are in a place where you're surrounded by problems and it's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's behavior. It's everybody else's choices. Ask for wisdom and humbly examine your life and your actions. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. Ask for the Holy Spirit. So there will be persecutions. Today on earth, there are persecutions. There are severe persecutions that uh, lead to bodily harm. There are severe persecutions that lead to uh, arrests and uh, top-down mistreatment from officials or from governments, maybe from employers. There are persecutions that come from neighbors. All those things exist or are happening uh, one, one statistic I said so, showed that 5,000 people in the past year were martyred for their faith in Jesus. It, it's going on. It's not something of the past. It's not imaginary. It's not just a persecution complex. I saw that accusation that Christians have a persecution complex. I think for some in the West that may be true, but there's persecution happening in the world today. Jesus predicted it. We're not to be uh, shocked by it. We're not to be intimidated by it. He just wants us to be aware, but our energy and our emphasis is on abiding, loving God, and then loving people. You guys following with me here? Jesus wants them to be aware. Let no one suffer because of their evil doing. If you're going to suffer, let it be for Christ. Jesus was perfect, and he was still persecuted and lied about. The early church, uh, I think, behaved excellently. They weren't perfect. You can read Paul's letters and know they were lied about. They were persecuted, but they weren't intimidated. I think we get discouraged and fearful and intimidated when we think in our imagination that someone might have a negative reaction we share Christ, if we take a stand for our faith, if we proclaim the word of God. And it was never to be that way. It's not to be that way. We need a mindset shift, brothers and sisters. Face problems, trials of various kinds, pure joy. <laughs> You suffer for Christ, it's a blessing. You're being honored with Christ. They treated him the same way. Uh, you can think about in Scripture how the disciples, they celebrated and praised God that they were considered worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. They considered it an honor. But don't stir up persecution just by your foolishness or your cantankerousness or your 
your bad attitude or your uh, strong opinions. Please, we're to walk in humility. Jesus wanted his disciples to know what was coming, to be aware, not to be afraid. I don't have any predictions necessarily. You know, there's, I don't have any in-time uh, predictions of increased persecution or um, I have opinions about that. Just be prepared. Walk in humility. It's okay. <laughs> no problem. You don't have to worry about the opinions of people, you know. <laughs> be free. If I could... If I could bestow upon you something, it would be freedom from the fear of man. But a wisdom that seeks to find common ground with people. You know, there's a a fine line, isn't there? You can be free from the fear of man. You can be free. I think psychopaths are generally free from... Uh, worrying about the opinions of other people, you know? They don't worry about their reputation. They don't worry about the opinion of their community. They don't worry about, you know, like their reputation. That's not what I'm saying. That's not how I'm saying we should live, right? Jesus gave us the picture in the coming hours of how we're to behave. He was humble. He was loving. He was forgiving. He had Every right to defend himself. He had every right to make accusations that would have been true against his those who assaulted him and accused him. And he walked with integrity. He walked with humility. He walked with love. He walked in forgiveness. And you can see, I think the message hit home with Peter. Read the read first Peter. You can see he wants us to be like Christ. Who, though he was reviled, didn't revile in return. He walked in that way. He wants us to behave in that manner. So, I guess what I, one thing I want to say is that if you face problems and or persecutions, it's not a sign that you're doing things wrong, necessarily. Right? And if your life is free of persecution, it's not a sign that you're necessarily doing things right. Okay? It's not really a a litmus test. It's going to happen. Be prepared. Be aware. But don't give it that much thought. But you can't say, somebody's facing problems. You know, we there's a there's the theology like if you walk with Christ, then your life will be perfect and you'll not have any problems. That's nowhere in Scripture. Right? Psalm 34 says, the pro- many are the problems of the righteous, right? It says, many are the problems or the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. You will have problems. Do not think it strange. Persecutions will come. They treated Jesus this way, they will treat you this way. But be aware. Examine yourself. You don't have to be obsessed with the opinions of other people. You also don't really have to be obsessed with like, am I doing things right? Am I behaving the right way? Am I saying the right thing? Because I don't want to offend people or I, I, you know, I want them to like me so they like Jesus. 
If you want an obsession, I think you just go back to the beginning of John 15. Abiding in Jesus. If you want to be obsessed, be obsessed with your relationship with Christ. And the fruit will flow. You will be a charismatic person. Charisma and grace are really the same word. The gifts and grace are really the same. That will flow through you out of your relationship with Jesus. John, first John, he talks to us, he says, don't claim to be without sin because you're a liar, right? If you have sin, you confess. God's faithful and just. and He'll cleanse you of your unrighteousness. We just walk with Jesus. We don't have to hold on to our sin. We don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed. We confess it. We let him cleanse us. And we move past. We move on. We move forward. You might have to continue to resist temptation and to do battle. But really, we are to focus on our relationship with Jesus. When, Eve's, when Adam and Eve, when they, they wanted to be like God, they ate the fruit. Their eyes were open and they became aware of themselves. They became aware of their nakedness. They were self-conscious, self-aware, and they became self-centered. Really, we just probably should think about ourselves less. Think about Jesus more. Think about other people more. Jesus said, uh, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. It was prophesied. They hated Jesus without cause. They had no cause to hate him. And they hated him without cause. They were fulfilling scripture. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Uh, we're going to hear more about the Holy Spirit next week in the next passage. But Jesus says the job of the Spirit is to bear witness about him. And they also will bear witness about Jesus. You know, there's something unique about the disciples. He says, you'll bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Their testimony has weight. You know, their testimony has a unique weight because they were with him from the beginning. They were eyewitnesses. They were able to write down, to tell, to spread the message with accuracy and with integrity. But the Spirit also bears witness. You know, when you think about, like, uh, somebody said, the Holy Spirit really broke out in church today. Right? There we might assume characteristics of what happened. You know, and depending on the denomination, there might be unique emphasis, right, of what the Spirit does and how the Spirit moves. But when Jesus talks about the Spirit, it's going to lead you into truth. It's a helper, an advocate. It's going to bear witness about me. So the things that the Spirit does that we read in Acts, we read in Paul's letters, the gifts of the Spirit, ultimately they're to bear witness about Jesus, that he would be elevated and lifted up. They're to accomplish that end. We see Jesus emphasizing that over and over. I want the Holy Spirit uh, to be evident in my life, right? How many of you guys want more of the Spirit in your life? I know that there are people here that are hungry, that a regular prayer is for more of the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit to come, to fill them, to baptize them. I want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. 
I want to walk in the power of the Spirit. I want to move and abide in the Spirit. I want the fruits of the Spirit in my life. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. But the Spirit, Jesus says, bears witness about Him. So all the things that we associate with the Holy Spirit, the core purpose is to lead to truth and bear witness about Jesus. It goes on in the end of or the beginning of 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because you not they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come. People think that they're doing the right thing when they put them out of synagogues. Think, people think that they're serving God even when they kill them. We saw that. You see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was persecuting them. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous for Judaism. He was persecuting Christians. And when Jesus encounters him on the road, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We are connected to Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, right? But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? We are united with Christ if we do. When we suffer for him, we're united with him. We're connected with him. And we share in his blessedness. Not that we're to seek pain. We're not to seek punishment. We're not to seek persecutions. But we're not to flee from him either. I want to, Jesus said that uh, it had to happen because of, because of what was written in their law. They hated me without cause. And it made me think, and I'll, I want to end here. Because uh, Jesus' discourse began with washing the feet, a beautiful picture. And at the end of this conversation, he goes to the cross, another beautiful picture. But I like Isaiah 52. Two and three, how Isaiah prophesies that they would hate him without cause, that they would despise him, they would reject him. And yet what Jesus did on the cross. And I want to, I was not, I'm not been aware of my time, so I don't know how long I've been going or anything like that. I apologize. Uh, I don't know what that means. How long? It's quarter to. Uh, so we started late, right? Yeah. So I get, okay. Uh, you know, if, if you're sitting here today and you have a lot of problems, you know, I quoted many of the afflictions or many of the problems, many of the afflictions of the righteous, and you think, you're sitting here and you say, I have many afflictions, I've got a lot of problems, and I know that they're my fault, I know that they're a result uh, of reaping what I sow, of, you know, my own actions, and you're in that place, there's grace. My heart goes out to you. There's not condemnation. There's not, uh, I'm not trying to, you know, make you feel worse about yourself. I would encourage you to go to Jesus. You know, that's the same answer. I would encourage you to take your life to Jesus. You don't have to sort out the confusion, you don't have to sort out the chaos, you don't have to sort out the problems, right? I would encourage you to humbly take yourself to the cross 
the feet of Jesus and ask him for help. And you can ask believers for help, people that have wisdom. And you can humbly begin to move forward in faith, move forward with Christ. I just want to say that. I when I say, you know, a lot of times we have problems that are our own fault. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to go to Jesus. And we want to help as much as we can. You know, we want to help you out. All right. I just felt like I had to say that. Isaiah 52. Let's turn your Bible there, please, if you will. Verse 13. This is prophecy. This is before Jesus walked the earth. This is God saying what he's going to do. In here is a prediction that they will despise him. Right? There's a prophecy. I just love this. I read this to myself often. I read this out loud often. And I, I just think it's amazing. Let's start at verse 13 in Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's available for you in Christ Jesus. He was uh, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he'd done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong, prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the, the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. Jesus was despised. He was rejected. They thought he was afflicted and smitten by God. 
And yet he was God's righteous one. He was a suffering servant. It says he took our transgressions, our iniquities. He brought us peace. And we were healed.